Stand on the podcast this month. Me and Kate talk about Rockstar Games and their business practices, the acquisition of Elon and Guild by Closest Still Media. Then me and Joe talk about this month's magazine and also the webinar. And we also preview the upcoming OEB event in Berlin. Hi all, this is John, editor of TJ, and welcome to the November podcast. We're going to crack straight on with the news, so let's get into it. And also, just a quick word to say that it sounds like I'm interrupting Kate again, but it's another lag in the software, which we are looking into and hopefully is going to be resolved soon. But I promise I'm not, I would never do that. Okay, enjoy. Okay, so on we go to the news section of this month's podcast, and uh, I'd like to welcome back Fosway's Kate Graham. Hello. How's it going, Kate? How's, uh, how's life in Fosway Group, and uh, what exciting things have you been up to? Life in Fosway Group is really, really busy. Uh, they are getting their pound of flesh out of me. We've had um, lots of new research uh, being published. So uh, we've been in what we kind of call the HR cycle. So two new nine grids around talent management and cloud HCM. So looking at that kind of broader uh, HR systems. Um, and we also have the the learning um, nine grids, which are uh, produced in January. They're on a slightly different cycle. And we have also just published our uh, HR realities, annual HR realities research, uh, which is looking at, again, some of the broader kind of HR systems and some of those broader HR challenges. So there's some interesting stuff to come out of that. I thought that AI would be a big part of the story. And surprise, surprise, it is and the impact of that on, on various different systems and processes um, is quite interesting. And uh, I think it's 95% of uh, HR professionals have said it's going to have a major impact within the next uh, 12 to 24 months. Um, and then, you know, but kind of the interesting part of it as well is actually the non-tech story, actually. So thinking about becoming more agile is actually the second most important driver for HR after supporting business performance and profitability. So that whole kind of agile piece, which I think has been a buzzword for a while, it, you know, the, the momentum is definitely growing around that. And it's that's quite an interesting part of the story as well. So, yeah, very busy. Yeah, uh, you were at uh, Unleash Renew, which is, I guess, more of a, very much more of an HR-focused uh, event recently. So... We tend to, there's some overlap in, in what TJ covers, but we tend to uh, sort of stay away from mostly the HR stuff. But having said that, uh, I went to the CIPD's annual conference and exhibition for the first time uh, this year, uh, which was really cool. I'd not been before. There was definitely an L&D crossover, and I interviewed Peter Cheese. We talked a little bit uh, uh, about exactly that, and uh, it, was, it was really good. Um, we've got a couple of news stories to cover. Who should we tackle first? Why don't you go first? Okay, so I'm going to cover a story. It actually came out uh, three weeks or so ago, but I think it is very important and it talks to, it speaks to a wider issue that is gaining a lot of traction in all sorts of businesses uh, and really is crossing over and becoming a, a key concern for a lot of uh, companies. And I think will only continue to be very important. Uh, it's from this story is from the Next Web. Uh, if you don't, if you're not familiar with the Next Web, it's a very interesting website, tech focused, startup focused and covers all sorts of things, mostly in the B2C space, but there are some really good stories that make a lot of sense to talk about uh, here, this story being a very good example. Uh, Rockstar Games controversy renews concern over crunch culture. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, with, and I don't know if you're a big gamer or not, I'm personally not a big gamer, but I couldn't uh, avoid 
the news that uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 is coming out, which these days a big game is almost like a, a film and it has the premieres to go with it and the uh, celebs on the red carpet. And so gearing up for this game coming out, which has already broken all sorts of records in sales, Rockstar VP Dan Hauser said some of his staff worked several hundred hour weeks during the year in order to make the game perfect. Yeah, the first paragraph. On the cusp of releasing one of the biggest games of the year, Red Dead Redemption 2, wow. developer Rockstar Games has been forced to allay fears it's overworking its employees. It's attempted to assure fans by allowing staff to speak directly about their experiences. The whole kerfuffle started thanks to an interview with Vulture, uh, in which Dan Houser says staff worked several hundred hour weeks. Uh, since there was no further clarification in the article itself, it'd be easy to assume he was talking about the entire development team. Given that, it's probably no surprise that readers reacted with horror. And then it goes on. There's a kind of a walk back uh, from various other people at Rockstar, um, which was very, fairly unconvincing, I'd say. But I know that Rockstar aren't alone in, in uh, some of their staff, if not most of their staff, who knows, working these kinds of hours. Kate, what do you think about this story? I think it's very timely and almost becoming a bit un-PC. I think there was a time... I don't know, in the noughties where, you know, all these tech startups were coming up and it was cool to work all these hours and, you know, send out for pizza in the office and get your laundry done in the office and all these other things. Uh, but there's, I think there's been uh, quite a backlash and I don't know if it's the kind of awareness around mental health and, and well-being and that's something, I mean, our research at Fosway, uh, we, we did a piece this earlier this year around uh, the importance of... Um, employee engagement and well-being and that is massively creeping up people's um, agendas uh, because actually at what point do you become unproductive you can be there but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting much done or you're you know you know if you burn out within a year of working somewhere then you know that's not really great use of somebody's resources by by the company and there was a brilliant thread um, on twitter a while ago from somebody i can't, I can't remember his name who was basically just bashed that whole culture, how it's not cool. And yeah, I think we're I think we're on the downside of that curve personally. I think it's I think that there's been a lot of kickback against it. And you know, if you want to look after people and keep your people and invest in your people, then that's not that's not the best way to treat them. So I'm not a gamer at all. Won't probably won't surprise you to hear. So the launch of that game completely passed me by, but there was a lot of people making very similar noises about this, about the about mental well-being, uh, about work-life balance. Uh, Liggy Webb, who uh, someone I've known for a while and done work with, she's she's really important in talking about avoiding burnout and things like that and resilience. And I think, well, we could go off on a proper old tangent here about resilience because you don't want to kind of learn how to be resilient so you can overwork yourself. But it is uh, definitely important to. Uh, possibly have kind of tactics to cope with these things, but but nevertheless, at, at CIPD recently uh, th there were a lot of talks that were talking about, say, work-life balance, working smarter. There was a stat saying that our French counterparts, I think, do as much work by the end of Thursday afternoon as as the English worker does in the whole week. So clearly, uh, working long hours doesn't necessarily equate to productivity, as, we, as you said. Uh, presenteeism is still a big factor. I do agree with you. I think it is on a downward spiral or at least becoming less and less popular. But there are certain, certainly large industries such as uh, advertising where you're very much at the service of the client. And, you know, you might just keep your email on all night. You might just wake up in the middle of the night, one o'clock and 
fire up a few emails to someone in a different time zone, for example. So it is a very important issue. And actually something I talked a bit about to uh, Peter Cheese as well last week, there was, this, there was a lot of talk about uh, how to manage your time uh, better. Anyway, Kate, what did you find uh, in the press or otherwise in the last week or so? Well, there's a, a couple of a couple of things that caught my eye. So the first is Closer Still's uh, acquisition of a uh, majority stake in the company that owned the e-learning guild in in America. Uh, so uh, this is quite exciting. Closer Still are the company now behind Learning Technologies, and so TJ is just about to pack its bags as our first way to go off to uh, Online Educator Berlin and Learning Technologies. Uh, Germany for the first time so they're, they're co-located with each other and that whole cycle is, is just about to, to start for us there's learning technologies France now in January and then obviously London uh, in February with its new location so yeah I was quite excited to see that and uh, uh, the the big event that they've just had is Devlin in in the States um, and they're also involved in Elliot Macy's learning conference which has also just happened so how they're keeping up with all of that, I have no idea. But um, yeah, it's exciting to see the investment and how they take some of these events forward. Obviously, learning technologies has grown considerably to the point where it's moving into into a new venue, and that feels really exciting and, and positive for our industries. Yes, they're unstoppable at the moment. It's uh, it's it's been an incredible year for Closer Still, and um, we've we, we're sort of aligning ourselves a bit more closely with them as well. We're, we're doing some work with them next year. And um, so that's quite exciting. But they're making moves in all the right places and, and aligning themselves with uh, really, really good uh, existing events. And I'm fascinated to see what they're going to do with OEB. Likewise, uh, what they're doing in the States. A large part of uh, TJ's traffic, at least, comes from, from America. So I think it, we're going to keep a very keen eye on what they're doing out there. And um, yeah. Where, where do they go next? Where, what are they going to acquire next? It's quite incredible, really. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, I think there's so much opportunity there because, uh, I, I mean, as you referenced around the, like the CIPD event, you know, learning is just one part of the broader HR picture. And yeah, I think there's some really exciting opportunities to extend some of these events and conferences out as, you know, talent and how does learning fit into that broader talent management succession? You know, all of those kind of areas. I think there's some really exciting kind of frontiers ahead. Um, and the more that these things grow, I think the more they've got scope to investigate some of those areas. Cool. So, and there was yeah, story, I I'm, think, that, I'm really uh, excited about it. As well, wasn't yeah, less of a story, more of a debate. So, actually, it tracks back to Learning Live, where you and I first picked up again in September. And uh, there was uh, a huge debate, which I could barely keep up with whilst I was at the event, around uh, learning engagement. And there was a slide from uh, Laurie at Fuse, who, uh, and it said, we will no longer measure learning by completions, but by engagement and sentiment scores. And this kicked off a huge debate. And Ashley Sinclair, who works at a new startup a learning startup called Thrive Learning has sort of took some time to reflect and pulled a lot of these tweets and a lot of thoughts and reflection into a into a blog post which then kind of kicked off the the debate all, all, all over again and it actually propelled my colleague David Perring to use the phrase that um, Twitter is like 
the bumper cars of conversation, which I also thought was absolutely fantastic as a, a, a as a phrase. Uh, but there's this whole debate around, you know, actually, you can have these sentiment scores and kind of these vanity metrics, as, as people call them. But just because somebody's engaged still doesn't prove that they're learning anything in, in my book. And actually, people can be unengaged and think something's really boring, but still have learned something. Yeah, you're right. Those two, those two things don't and aren't necessarily don't have to be related. They, they aren't necessarily related. Uh, some of the some of the best, most effective learning could could be quite boring. But for some reason, I just think there's so many factors that play into what embeds it. Uh, into your brain and then also what makes you to go on to change your behavior and change your performance and and increase whatever kind of metrics you have set aside for this learning to be effective for them to be positive they are vanity metrics really and we're now looking and I guess a lot of uh, other digital publishing businesses have been over the last few years to look beyond the kind of the, the simple uh, tips and scores and likes and comments and shares and all that sort of thing to go deeper into what actually are the metrics you should be looking at for your content to be effective or for uh, this piece of uh, e-learning to work or that classroom piece of classroom learning to work or this video or whatever. So uh, yeah, this is <laughs> this is something which I don't think will ever get resolved. It's going to be and indeed for me seems to always be these two factions of uh, of these two kind of factions of topics. The first is things which are kind of seasonal and uh, come by in fads and AI might be one of these. Not that it doesn't mean it is really important, but it seems very of the moment. And then there's there's the other aspects which will just run and run and run and run. And they're never going to be solved. They're only going to be, there's only new techniques going to kind of be added to the mix to for, for people to think that they've got a new way of assessing these or all kind of cracking it. But yeah, it's something that I don't think we'll, we'll ever really get an answer to, unfortunately. Is that a circular enough answer for you? <laughs> yeah, that, it, it, it is. Uh, so I think there's, I think there's two points. I mean, Donald Clark, um, actually, so I've got his tweet in front of me because it's in the blog. So can we put, is there show notes? Can we put the, the link or something to, in there that people might be quite interested? But Donald Clark, who I'm sure a lot of the listeners will be familiar with, um, uh, says, uh, said engagement is not a measure of anything other than engagement. Learning is about cognitive change, not just making him feel good. It's actually easy to do that. To be honest, I'm not sure what engagement is. So maybe this is actually a linguistic problem. And I think a lot of the a lot of the debate we have in LND often comes down to semantics and, and people's interpretation of that. But I think I think there is there is massive value in being LND being more data driven. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but I think it's how we, what what data is it and how do we use that? So more paper, Ashley says in this blog, more people come to LMS, so what? More pe- more learners watch the video you shared, so what? And, you know, and that's right to an extent. But actually, I think L&D hasn't been historically data-driven enough. So maybe this is just where we need to start. But actually being more focused on, on analytics and looking at, um, learner behavior and harnessing AI and machine learning to make better recommendations that is all that's all to the good in my book you know Fosfra you're in a very good position to prove me wrong here um, the, the, the stat about however many jobs in the future don't exist yet 
I think we can be pretty sure that some of the ones that do are going to be data analysts and uh, or certain types of data analysts that uh, whose jobs don't exist yet. But there we go. We don't have data on that, but I I, I think the uh, I think I think the assumption is uh, is fairly safe. And as I say, the exponential impact that AI is predicted to have, you know, just on in HR, you know, w without looking across the rest of the, the different business silos, is going to be quite interesting. So okay, you know, that was the news. Thanks very much, Kate. Thank you. Bye-bye. So on to the magazine for November, and we are coming to you live from ELN Connect 2018. And I'm here with Joe Cook. How are you? Very good, thank you. Loving being in central London at this great event. Yes, so we are here to talk about the magazine. Uh, the cover star this month is Andrew Jacobs. Uh, we've got Don Taylor talking about how classroom learning is... He draws a parallel between classroom learning and baked beans, which is very funny and uh, definitely worth your time. Only Donald could do that. And Joe, what does Cook look at? Uh, Cook looks at why marketing in L&D is such an important thing and about, just like I said really, about business skills and sales skills a while ago, we all need to have some kind of skill around it. So we're going to do uh, what I did last time, which was to pull out some key quotes I, that I, I found from some of the articles. If we did them all, we'd be here forever because there's uh, so much good stuff, but I picked out a few. So Donald, Donald Taylor, Don Taylor, big Don T, what should we call him, <laughs> uh, talks about the way that uh, baked bean cans were standardised in Victorian times and how that has kind of, uh, that aligns to the way that classrooms are put together and how, because essentially people built the classrooms in this size for this many people, people have felt like they've had to use them. And that paradigm has stayed with us for ages. And likewise, the way that beans are made in a certain size tin on a certain width conveyor belt using the certain equipment means that these kind of things are persisted. And it's just about kind of getting rid of the classroom or at least understanding um, best, how people best learn rather than trying to fit them around the learning that exists already uh, or the learning paradigms that exist already. And, and uh, the quote that I've chosen here is overturning this will take time but more flexible and more effective digital alternatives are winning their place in workplace learning and I believe that before the end of the decade we will see a shift that is a big claim what do you think well I like the fact that he's making that almost making that claim he might not say that um, and in Don's book that he released about digital learning and transforming learning was that actually whenever you have somebody making these big broad claims but it never usually happens in the time frame they're looking at so hopefully it's five years rather than ten years um, but I think it's a really great way to look at it because it's a legacy like the baked bean tin is a legacy and what you've got now is small baked bean things that you can put in a microwave for one person you've got baked beans with sausages you've got baked beans with low salt and low sugar and so on and so forth so I think it's a really good thing that he's highlighting. You've built well on the metaphor there, Joe, I like it. So the next article I'm going to talk about is the practitioner's viewpoint, which is, as always, Beverly Aylett. Sometimes we skip over her, and but not this month. She's referring to a book called Turn the Ship Around by David Marquet. So there's a nautical theme to this, uh, to the column this month. And there's a really good quote about failure and everything like that. What's great is that, sorry, the quote is, what's great is that there are so many practical examples of the, in the book of how he has actually done this. Getting his crew to change their view of inspections from avoiding negative outcomes to accomplishing positive ones and asking people to think out loud to avoid doing things on automatic pilot and making mistakes. And this kind of plays into something that I know that you have talked about a lot and I see a lot on Twitter in people's personal learning networks, which is uh, working out loud. Yeah, absolutely, because we all do things wrong. 
especially me, I think. And if you can do something wrong and then help someone else, then that's really important. And if you can learn from it, I even I tweeted this morning to uh, National Rail Inquiries and South West Railway going, why isn't your train exactly as it says on the website? And they tweeted back and said, because actually there's a stop in the middle and you didn't notice that. And I'm like, ah, so it's not a tech fail, it's a Joe fail. And that was a little bit embarrassing. But A, it told me that I need to read the website a little bit better and not be in a rush. And B, maybe their user design needs to be updated. So learning from mistakes is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Another column that I often pick from, just because I like the kind of tangential way it looks at learning, is uh, Andre Vermeulen's column this month about neuroagility and learning. Just to give some context, neuroagility refers to the brain's ability to learn quickly and easily with the flexibility to fluctuate between different modes of thinking and learning. So he says. Uh, The quote, though, is towards the end, and it's um, he talks about kind of recreational habits which uh, improve neuroagility. Uh, something which is a constant theme that he comes back to as well. But the quote that I picked out is, finally, laugh, laugh, and laugh again. Be humorous, have fun, enjoy life, work, and learning. Uh, Using these various tools will help you to develop and maintain a neuro-friendly lifestyle and contribute to wellness engagement and improve your learning. So I think that's a really nice way of rounding it up and giving people a kind of circumspect look at uh, why we engage in learning. Love it. You know I'm always up for a laugh. Now I've got the science to back it up. And the last piece I wanted to pull a quote from is from Philip Alexander called The Power of Personalization, and it's about the importance of agile leadership. So we've got nine quick ways that leaders can exhibit agility, and we're going to take one each. These are the ways that leadership in organizations can and should, according to Philip Alexander, exhibit nine key principles of agile leadership. Number one. Actions speak louder than words. Number two. Improved quality of thinking leads to improved outcomes. Number three, organisations improve through effective feedback. Number four, people require meaning and purpose to make work fulfilling. Number five, emotion is a foundation to enhance creativity and innovation. Number six, leadership lives everywhere in the organisation. Like that one. Number seven, leaders devolve appropriate power and authority. Number eight, collaborative communities achieve more than individuals. And finally, number nine, great ideas can come from anywhere in the organisation. The only thing that's missing from this is the Top of the Pops countdown music. So in post, (laughs) all that, yeah, in post I might add it in, we'll see. So elsewhere in the magazine, uh, Brian Crop is very positive about uh, UK workers. Owen Rose, Don't Tick the Box, talks about behavioural sciences and advertising. And he's also talking at this event today about exactly that at ELN Connect. And he's also speaking at our TJ conference in December. Also, Innes Witcher says, get a move on if you want to develop capable leaders. Henry Stewart takes a controversial stance defending the often maligned Kirkpatrick model of evaluation. How dare he? horror. And of course, there's loads more besides. And Joe, if you want to subscribe, what do you need to do? All you need to do is go to trainingjournal.com. You can subscribe to the magazine. And also, we have a digital subscription. So if you want to get online and get the magazine before it opens three months later to everyone else, you can do that too. And between you and me, it's a little bit cheaper. And also, if you ask us nicely, we might let you have a three-month trial, the digital version, for free. Oh, we are too kind. Here we are, back again, still at ELN Connect as this is literally a minute after we recorded the previous <laughs> section. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about the webinars. So last week we had one on marketing. Joe, how did it go? How do you think it went? 
Well, they always go fabulously, obviously. Uh, I really loved your tweet, though, that it had more line-up changes than the Sugar Babes. Fact. <laughs> For one reason or another, various speakers couldn't make it, but we ended up with a great line-up still as well. We had Chris Robinson, we had Steph... Scott and we had Stephen uh, Flurry and we really talked lots of different angles from evaluation and how important that is, uh, winning awards and what that can do for your career and for your department but we also talked about what is campaign learning, we mentioned lots of different ideas about how you can use different tactics from marketing and how you can look at that. We didn't really get into the whole data and social media and, and software and technology part of it, we looked more at the skills around it, really good conversation as well. Yeah, it was more about, almost more about organisational development. It was about how people felt like L&D fitted with the rest of the business and what you could do to influence the rest of the business. And again, I think it makes a really nice double bill with uh, the chat with Richard Barkey from October about sales. And again, it's looking at how L&D can look outside itself and, and, and look to other places and, and draw influence from other areas of the business to succeed. Yeah. So it's really, really good. And a really, really energetic uh, chat in the chat window. So, yeah, another great addition to, um, to the archive, I think. And what's coming up in December? On the 11th of December, our theme for the entire month is learning to learn. And what we're focusing on in the webinar is where do we go to develop ourselves, but like outside of L&D. So we're here at the eLearning Network Connect conference, which is brilliant. I've been to the charity learning conference this morning, which again had some really great speakers, Liggy Webb, who writes for us, as well as other speakers. And it was um, really interesting, but this is within our industry. So where can we go outside of our industry? I've said quite a few times I've been to a marketing conference, I've been to a sales conference. Interesting what I learned that's different, but also interesting that how many of the conversations are the same about we need a seat at the top table, nobody takes us seriously, we must rebrand, all sorts of other things as well. It's a nice kind of meta way to uh, finish the year. And then we've also got the Christmas webinar as well, which is on a day in December. The 18th? It might be. I think. It's the Thursday. It's a Tuesday or a Thursday. So guys, go and look up on the trainingjournal.com, go to the webinar section and you'll see in there there's the TJ Wow virtual Christmas party. Uh, we're doing it at 4pm. We're going to have a new time slot next year, dun, 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 which is going to be 4pm UK time. Big will changes. Be our, our new thing. And the virtual Christmas party, if you've been before, you know, it's a ton of fun. It's tinsels, it's hats, um, you don't have to drink if you don't want to, you don't have to, you can even be a bit bar humbug, it's just silly fun. But also it's talking about learning and development, it's been talking about what's going on this year and maybe what's coming next year and a really good conversation, I hope, like always. Yeah, definitely, looking forward to it. Uh, We're putting the finishing touches to the first few months of next year's webinar schedule and like Joe said, we've got a whole new time which is going to make it easier for some of our American friends because we've got uh, a lot of American contributors and uh, quite a lot of traffic now from America as well. So uh, that should be really interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Everything will still be on the archive as always. We've got a few little tweaks we're making to the webinar schedule, so it's not going to be exactly the same every month. You might just notice a few subtle differences here and there. And that's not just my new haircut. And that was the webinars. Just before we get into our interview of the month, a quick word from your dashing podcast host. Thanks, John. So a quick word about podcast adverts. We are looking to advertise your business and for a limited time only, we're going to give you the opportunity for free. 
So if you'd like to hear yourself on the TJ podcast, submit us a 30 second script about you and your company and all the great things that it does. Send it in and we'll feature you on the TJ podcast. You can get us on Twitter at Training Journal or on Facebook slash Training Journal or you can do it the good old fashioned way by email. This is a limited offer only, so act fast. Hi Joe. Hi John. How are you doing? Looking forward to our discussions about a conference in my favourite city in the world. Well, I think you can only be talking about OEB. So yeah, well, let's. why don't you tell everyone what OEB is all about? OEB is Online Educa Berlin. It's a conference that runs in, funnily enough, Berlin every year and has done for uh, 20 <clears throat> years, 24, 25, something like that. It's all about education and technology, effectively, and it broadens out into business as well. Yes, as you say, it's uh, it's been going for twenty something years, and uh, the change has been. It was it started out as kind of ed tech, and now, uh, thanks to very much amongst others, Nora Overton and Towards Maturity, and now Closer Still, which we'll come on to later, uh, it has got this bigger kind of corporate learning uh, stream channel piece attached to it, and uh, that's why TJ has continued its uh, involvement, and we're really looking forward to. Uh, the conference this year. Um, we both went last year. How was your experience last year? I really loved it last year. And as you say, Laura Overton, uh, Charles Jennings, Donald Clark have all done really good stuff on on corporate or workplace learning and, and involving things in that area. And something I like about it, it's really kind of, it's low key, it's chilled, but at the same time, serious and focused. It, it seems like a weird thing to say, but I don't know if that resonates with you. Oh yeah, it definitely does. It definitely does. Uh, I think it's um, part of it is it's set in such an amazing city of uh, the amazing city of Berlin, but also um, yeah, it, it uh, being on the mainland Europe, being on the continent, it also attracts a slightly different um, group of people. So you get to uh, mix with people from L&D that you wouldn't normally mix with apart from a lot of people that we are very familiar with from the uh, quote-unquote circuit in the UK there's there's loads and loads more people from the states there's a lot of people uh, there's a lot of people from Africa because uh, obviously um, the ICWE who run it also run e-learning Africa and you generally just get exposed to people from uh, way more different industries and and uh, different professions which gives it this a uh, completely different atmosphere to the normal L&D conferences we go to, which is just one of the reasons why I love it, really. Yeah, it's got a kind of cosmopolitan feel in that European way, as opposed to other conferences in the UK are much more UK and, and London centric almost. Um, and that's that's not a complaint. It's just it's an obvious thing if we're in the UK, we're going to be UK centric, despite the the massive efforts and achievements of people to make it more European abroad. Um, this, it just feels more European and cosmopolitan because, as you say, so many of the speakers are, are different from maybe some of the people that we see and hear a bit more of. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there's a significant change, which we will come on to momentarily. But what we're going to be doing, this is just an introduction to uh, a set of uh, short podcasts we're going to be doing about the different themes of OEB. Uh, there's an overarching theme, uh, and then within that, there's kind of five sub-themes uh, that explore a bit more about the uh, talks that are going to be happening at the event. So the overall theme this year, and I'm going to read most of the first paragraph, in fact, uh, on this site. The overall theme this year is learning to love learning, which I think is a really great positive theme to uh, kick things off. And uh, from the first paragraph, it says, 
technology is changing society. The way we live and the jobs we do will never be the same again. Da, da, da. Uh, in 20 years, the world of work will be unlike anything we have ever known. The development of artificial intelligence will allow machines to replace workers in many industries on an unprecedented scale. Humankind will face some fundamental existential questions. Uh, they're going big this year, aren't they? Uh, why are we here? What are we doing? How are we different from the machines? Education will shape our response to the immense challenge of this new age. So um, I'll stop there, but uh, they're, they're tackling some quite fundamental issues beyond L&D, I'd say. What do you think? Yeah, agreed. And I love their next sentence. Education and training will have to change too. And that's something that in the L&D kind of press or, you know, the kind of Twitter sphere and LinkedIn articles and that area, people are often talking about how, how they've changed and updated and what they're seeing in the future, such as artificial intelligence and the huge impact it's making uh, and Donald Clark obviously is a fundamental person to follow and, and, and find out more about this because it, it's such a big area and it's impacting us now without some of us knowing about it it will impact us more than some of us think about and I, I said at a conference recently where I, I was with Donald Clark and I said I, I hardly know anything about this area but it's something that we all have to be open about because it will change things and we need to be at least slightly aware of what's going on. Yes, definitely. Um, what what I think is remarkable about the way they've kind of uh, put all these, all these themes under this umbrella term is that we are talking about disruption, instability, change, uh, the dreaded VUCA. I'm sorry I've mentioned it, but... Um, they're framing it in a very positive way. So it's like, you may not know anything about it, but here's what we're going to tell you. Here's what you need to know. And, and here's how, despite all this disruption, despite all this change, here's how we can still love learning. I think most of the people there do lo will love learning, but maybe it's going to um, give them some tools to kind of uh, adapt to this, uh, this new way of working, this new way of learning, and this new way of doing their jobs. Um, Next time, we're going to talk about the first theme, which is instilling curiosity. But before we go, let's talk about uh, the recent acquisition and how we think this is going to possibly change uh, OEB, which is the involvement with Closer Still Media. So Closer Still Media are a huge company. They run loads of brilliant events, including Learning Technologies, which is in London on uh, Valentine's Day, actually, uh, in a new location in Excel. And Closer Still Media have purchased basically online educa Berlin. They also run other conferences and they're buying into other conferences around the world. So they're a really great company to be uh, on the lookout for. And so they've bought OEB. There's a huge, huge incentive to not tinker with something that is not broken because OEB is brilliant. It's more like a bit of spit and polish is what I'm seeing. So there is a learning technologies element to it, which is different from uh, previous years. Um, and I think, unless you correct me, John, uh, whereas normally you'd have to have a ticket for it, there's a free element of it as with learning technologies exhibition. Um, so there's some of the differences that I'm seeing. What are you seeing? Well, I think it's, uh, as you say, just to build on what you say, I think uh, it's going to expand an already growing uh, aspect of the event, which was the workplace learning, corporate learning uh, element, which, um, which, like you said, Charles Jennings, Laura Overton, uh, Joe Cross have done such an amazing job with over the last few years. And uh, I just think that there's such a massive crossover between technology and education anyway. The, the, the whole event was founded on educational technology 
and that kind of intersection that I think it made perfect sense for Closer Still to get involved. And I guess we, we're going to have to see. I mean, the, on the surface, it's going to, the, the number of talks and events and that side of things will obviously grow, but whether it will change the makeup of the event, I don't think so. Because like you said, it's such a brilliant event anyway, that I just think it's somewhere where people like Donald Taylor are going to be hanging out anyway. So um, <laughs> in the short term, I don't think it will make much uh, change at all, but it's good to have them involved. So this podcast was an introduction and uh, look at the th- overall OEB theme, learning to love learning. And you know, we all do that at TJ already. We've got five more podcasts coming up. Don't worry, we're going to keep them short and sharp. And they're on the different themes about curiosity, dynamic learning, technologies, the professional skills of the future, and also results and data collection. Looking forward to it. TJ Podcast is hosted by John Kennard, Joe Cook and Kate Graham. It's produced and edited by me, John Kennard, with additional production by Joe Cook. Title music is by The Leisure All-Stars featuring Yolanda. The sponsorship music is by Audio Nautics and is used under a Creative Commons licence. TJ is a publishing title owned by Dodds Group PLC.